Chapter 13 of Marvels of Modern Science. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Steve Mayer. Marvels of Modern Science by Paul Severing. Chapter 13 A Talk on Big Guns. The First Projectiles. Introduction of Cannon high-pressure guns, machine guns, dimensions and cost of big guns. The first arms and machines employing gunpowder as the propelling agency came into use in the 14th century. Prior to this time there were machines and instruments which threw stones and catapults and large arrows by means of the reaction of a tightly twisted rope made up of hemp, catgut, or hair. Slings were also much employed for hurling missiles. The first cannons were used by the English against the Scots in 1327. They were short and thick, and wide in the bore and resembled bowls or mortars. In fact, this name is still applied to this kind of ordnance. By the end of the 15th century a great advancement was shown in the make of these implements of warfare. Bronze and brass as materials came into general use, and cannon were turned out with twenty to twenty-five inch bore weighing twenty tons and capable of hurling to a considerable distance projectiles weighing from two hundred pounds to one thousand pounds with powder as the propelling force in a short time these large guns were mounted and carriages were introduced to facilitate transportation with troops meantime stone projectiles were replaced by cast iron shot which owing to its greater density necessitated a reduction in caliber, that is, a narrowing of the bore. Consequently, lighter and smaller guns came into the field, but with a greater propelling force. When the cast-iron balls first came into use as projectiles, they weighed about twelve pounds. Hence the cannons shooting them were known as twelve-pounders. It was soon found, however, that twelve pounds was too great a weight for long distances so a reduction took place until the missiles were cut down to four pounds and the cannon discharging these four pounders as they were called weighed about one quarter of a ton they were very effective and handy for light field work the eighteenth century witnessed rapid progress in gun and ammunition manufacture grape and canister were introduced and the names still cling to the present day grape consisted of a number of tarred lead balls held together in a net canister consisted of a number of small shot in a tin can the shots being dispersed by the breaking of the can on discharge grape now consists of cast iron balls arranged in three tiers by means of circular plates the whole secured by a pin which passes through the center the number of shots in each tier varies from three to five grape is very destructive up to three hundred yards and effective up to six hundred yards canister shot as we know it at present is made up of a number of iron balls placed in a tin cylinder with a wooden bottom the size of the piece of ordnance for which it is intended towards the close of the eighteenth century short cast iron guns called carronades were introduced by gascoigne of the cannon ironworks scotland they threw heavy shots at low velocity with great battery effect they were for a long time in use in the british navy the sailors called them smashers the entire battery of the Victory, Nelson's famous flagship at the Battle of Trafalgar, amounting to a total of 102 guns, was composed of carronades, varying in size from 32 to 68 pounders. They were mounted on wooden truck carriages and were given elevation by hand spikes applied under the breech. 
a coin or a wedge-shaped piece of wood being pushed in to hold the breech up in position. They were trained by hand spikes with the aid of side tackle, and their recoil was limited by a stout rope called the breeching, the ends of which were secured to the sides of the ship. The slow match was used for firing, the flintlock not being applied to naval guns until 1780. About the middle of the 19th century, the design of guns began to receive much scientific thought and consideration. The question of high velocities and flat trajectories without lightening the weight of the projectile was the desideratum. The minimum of weight in the cannon itself, with the maximum in the projectile, and the force with which it could be propelled were the ends to be attained. In 1856, Admiral Dahlgren of the United States Navy designed the Dahlgren gun with shape proportioned to the curve of pressure, which is to say that the gun was heavy at the breech and light at the muzzle. This gun was well adapted to naval use at the time. From this onward, guns of high pressure were manufactured until the pressure grew to such proportions that it exceeded the resisting power represented by the tensile strength of cast iron. When cast, the gun cooled from the outside inwardly, thus placing the inside metal in a state of tension and the outside in a state of compression. General Rodman, Chief of Ordnance of the United States Army, came forward with a remedy for this. He suggested the casting of guns hollow and the cooling of them from the inside outwardly by circulating a stream of cold water in the bore while the outside surface was kept at a high temperature. This method placed the metal inside in a state of compression and that on the outside in a state of tension, the right condition to withstand successfully the pressure of the powder gas, which tended to expand the inner portions beyond the normal diameter and throw the strain of the supporting outer layers. This system was universally employed and gave the best results obtainable from cast iron for many years, and was only superseded by that of built-up guns, when iron and steel were made available by improved processes of production. The great strides made in the manufacture and forging of steel during the past quarter of a century, the improved tempering and annealing processes, have resulted in the turning out of big guns solely composed of steel. The various forms of modern ordnance are classified and named according to size and weight, kind of projectiles used and their velocities, angle of elevation at which they are fired, use, and mode of operation. The guns known as breech-loading rifles are from 3 inches to 14 inches in caliber, that is, across the bore, and in length from 12 to over 60 feet. They weigh from 1 ton to 50 tons. They fire solid shot or shells weighing up to 1,100 pounds at high velocities, from 23 to 2,500 feet per second. They can penetrate steel armor to a depth of 15 to 20 inches at 2,000 yards distance. Rapid-fire guns are those in which the operation of opening and closing the breech is performed by a single motion of a lever actuated by the hand, and in which the explosive used is closed in a metallic case. These guns are made in various forms and are operated by several different systems of breech mechanism, generally named after their respective inventors. The Vickers Maxim and the Nordenfelt are the best known in America. A new type of the Vickers Maxim was introduced in 1897 in which a quick-working breech mechanism automatically ejects the primer and draws up the loading tray into position as the breech is opened. This type was quickly adopted by the United States Navy and materially increased the speed of fire in all calibers. What are known as machine guns are rapid-fire guns in which the speed of firing is such that it is practically continuous. The best-known make is the famous Gatling gun, 
invented by Dr. R. J. Gatling of Indianapolis in 1860. This gun consists of ten parallel barrels grouped around and secured firmly to a main central shaft, to which is also attached the grooved cartridge carrier and the lock cylinder. Each barrel is provided with its own lock or firing mechanism, independent of the other, but all of them revolve simultaneously with the barrels, carrier, and inner breech when the gun is in operation. In firing, one end of the feed case containing the cartridges is placed in the hopper on top and the operating crank is turned. The cartridges drop one by one into the grooves of the carrier and are loaded and fired by the forward motion of the locks, which also closes the breech while the backward motion extracts and expels the empty shells. In its present state of efficiency, the Gatling gun fires at the rate of 1,200 shots per minute, a speed by separate discharges not equaled by any other gun. Much larger guns were constructed in times past than are being built now. In 1880, the English made guns weighing from 100 to 120 tons, from 18 to 20 inches bore, and which fired projectiles weighing over 2,000 pounds at a velocity of almost 1,700 feet per second. At the same time, the United States fashioned a monster rifle of 127 tons, which had a bore of 16 inches and fired a projectile of 2,400 pounds with a velocity of 2,300 feet per second. The largest guns ever placed on board ship were the Armstrong 110-ton guns of the English battleships Sanspariel, Benbow, and Victoria. They were 16 and 1 inch caliber. The newest battleships of England, the Dreadnought and the Temeraire, are equipped with 14-inch guns, but they are not one-half so heavy as the old guns. Many experts in naval ordnance think it is a mistake to have guns over 12-inch bore, basing their belief on the experience of the past, which showed that guns of a less caliber carrying smaller shells did more effective work than the big-bore guns with larger projectiles. The two Titanic war vessels now in course of construction for the United States Navy will each carry a battery of 10 14-inch rifles, which will be the most powerful weapons ever constructed, and will greatly exceed in range and hitting power the 12-inch guns of the Delaware or North Dakota. Each of the new rifles will weigh over 63 tons, the projectiles will each weigh 1,400 pounds, and the powder charge will be 450 pounds. At the moment of discharge, each of these guns will exert a muzzle energy of 65,600 foot-tons, which simply means that the energy will be so great that it could raise 65,600 tons a foot from the ground. The 1,400-pound projectiles shall be propelled through the air at the rate of half a mile a second. It will be plainly seen that the metal of the guns must be of enormous resistance to withstand such a force. The designers have taken this into full consideration and will see to it that the powder chamber in which the explosion takes place, as well as the breech lock on which the shock is exerted, is of steel so wrought and tempered as to withstand the terrific strain. At the moment of detonation, the shock will be about equal to that of a heavy engine and a train of Pullman coaches running at 70 miles an hour smashing into a stone wall. On leaving the muzzle of the gun, the shell will have an energy equivalent to that of a train of cars weighing 580 tons and running at 60 miles an hour. Such energy will be sufficient to send the projectile through 22 and a half inches of the hardest of steel armor at the muzzle, while at a range of 3,000 yards, the projectile moving at the rate of 2,235 feet per second will pierce 18 and a half inches of steel armor at normal impact. 
the velocity of the projectile leaving the gun will be two thousand six hundred feet per second a speed which if maintained would carry it around the world in less than fifteen hours each of the mammoth guns will be a trifle over fifty-three feet in length and the estimated cost of each will be eighty-five thousand dollars judging from the performance of the twelve-inch guns it is figured that these greater weapons should be able to deliver three shots a minute if all ten guns of either of the projected dreadnoughts should be brought into action at one time and maintain the three-shot rapidity for one hour the cost of the ammunition expended in that hour would reach the enormous sum of two million five hundred and twenty thousand dollars very few however of the big guns are called upon for the three shots a minute rate for the metal would not stand the heating strain the big guns are expensive and even when only moderately used their life is short therefore care is taken not to put them to too great a strain with the smaller guns it is different some of six inch bore fire as high as eight aimed shots a minute but this is only under ideal conditions great care is being taken now to prolong the life of the big guns by using non-corrosive material for the charges the united states has adopted a pure gun cotton smokeless powder in which the temperature of combustion is not only lower than that of nitroglycerin but even lower than that of ordinary gunpowder with the use of this there has been a very material decrease in the corrosion of the big guns the former smokeless powder containing a large percentage of nitroglycerin such as cordite produced such an effect that the guns were used up and practically worthless after firing fifty to sixty rounds now it is possible for a gun to be as good after two or even three hundred rounds as it is at the beginning but certainly not if a three-minute rate is maintained at such a rate the life of the best gun made would be short indeed End of chapter thirteen